A parable is a story that makes a point. That's why it's called a parable. It's a story, but there's a point, and the, uh, they run through the story. Not every detail in the parable is true, but the point is important. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when Jesus told the parable about the rich man and Lazarus, we recognize that people don't sit in hell calling out to people in heaven. We know that's not true. But yet Jesus used that in the story because he was making a point. The parable makes a point. I share that with you to establish a precedence because I'm going to read a poem. I'm going to read a poem about a soldier who gets converted. And there's going to be one line where he believes that when he dies, he goes directly to heaven. We don't embrace that theology, but I want you to relax and enjoy the meaning of the poem rather than get so uptight about that guy going directly to heaven if he dies, okay? So can you relax? Can you, can you enjoy this? All right. The poem is called Conversion, and it's written by Francis Ungermeyer, and it's about a man who comes to know the Lord on the battlefield. Look, God, I have never spoken to you, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you didn't exist, and like a fool, I believed all this. Last night from a shell hole, I saw your sky and figured right then they told me a lie. Had I taken time to see things you made, I'd known they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you'd shake my hand. Somehow I feel that you'll understand. Funny I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad, God, I met you today. I guess the zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid since I know you are here. The signal, well, God, I'll have to go. I like you lots, this I want you to know. Look now, this will be a horrible fight. Who knows, I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly with you before, I wonder, God, if you'd wait at your door. Look, I'm crying, me shedding tears. I wish I'd known you these many years. Well, God, I have to go now. Goodbye. Strange, since I met you, I'm not afraid to die. We're in a series called Moving Forward Together. This is our fourth sermon, and we're focusing in this part of it, Moving Forward Together with God. Last week, we began studying in John chapter 4, and I would like you to turn there in your Bibles. John chapter 4. In John 4, we begin with verse 21. 
Jesus is speaking to a woman. If you want to know who that woman is and what the background of this story is, pick up a copy of last week's sermon. We spent a lot of time with those details. So verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Last week, we learned that the word Jesus spoke in regarding worship, when it was recorded in Greek, the Greek word is proskuneo. Those are two words put together. Pros means to or toward. Kuneo means kiss. So worship literally means to kiss. It is a very personal, heartfelt experience. And when Jesus talks about worshiping God, he's talking about us kissing God. In John 4, verse 21, this question is raised, or the idea is, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. The right place for worship was a continual dispute between Samaritans and Jews. And Jesus is teaching here that genuine worship is spiritual in its nature. It is not dependent on places and things. We go to verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. When Jesus mentions we, he's talking about Jews in general. Jesus is saying that the Samaritans may have believed in God, but they didn't really know Him. They didn't understand Him because they did not have a full picture of God as demonstrated in the then Scriptures that were available. The Samaritans only read the Septuagint, which are the first five books of the Bible. They did not read the Psalms or the other wisdom writings. They did not read the prophets nor the historical books of the Old Testament. So they were limited in their view of God. And so their knowledge of God was limited. They believed in God, but they really didn't know who He was. And then Jesus said in that verse that salvation is of the Jews. Now, when he's saying that, he's not saying that the Jews provide salvation. He is saying the Jews would provide the Savior. He was Jewish. He was the Savior of mankind. And uh, he was there to redeem the world. So we move on, and we're going to get into the heart of what we're discussing today. John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The hour is coming, and now is. This points to something new. This points to something that has never, ever been before. We're talking about revolution. We're talking about something 
amazing that is going to take place. And we see that it has begun. Jesus says it's coming, but it is here. We see the beginning of it in John chapter 2. Please turn there. In John chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Jesus was beginning the new. He was saying what is happening is totally unacceptable. It is totally inadequate. Something new must happen in the hearts of men in order to worship God properly. Now, we discover in John 4, verse 23, it says that the hour is coming now is when true worshipers will worship the Father will worship the Father. The Greek word that is translated Father gets its root from the word signifying a nourisher, a protector, an upholder. Some would say the nearest ancestor, and that's true. But in this context, Jesus is identifying God as the Father of humanity, the nourisher, the protector, the upholder. Now, I want you to listen to something that's very important. The Old Testament emphasizes, or the Old Testament emphasis is that God gave life through creation. God was the creator, and God gave life through creation. Life came to man. He breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living being. Through creation, God gave life. The emphasis, however, in the New Testament is that God gives life through Christ. That doesn't mean we don't worship Him as Creator. It doesn't mean we don't worry about anything associated with God as Creator. It means that the emphasis in the Old Testament was that God gives life through creation. The emphasis in the New Testament, God gives life through Christ. Jesus calls the Father, my Father. The Father calls Jesus His Son. It is a very intimate bond. There are many verses we could go to that identify this, but I want to show you one because I find this to be compelling. This verse, for some, may change everything. John 3, verse 17. God is seeking to save the world through His Son. It says, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Why not? The world stood condemned already. 
Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He goes on, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to save the world. The world stood condemned. It stood arraigned in darkness, and Jesus was the light of God, and he came to the world. And salvation has come to us through Christ. Life comes to us through Christ. Now, Jesus walked the earth. He lived a beautiful, sinless, perfect life. And he died on Calvary, a perfect sacrifice for us. Our sins were given to him. His righteousness was given to us. A beautiful, wonderful trade. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Some of you may find this shocking. Others of you will say, well, that clarifies it. And some of you might say, what did he say anyways? Listen. Since Jesus came and died and rose from the dead, salvation is no longer a sin issue. Sin has been taken care of. Salvation is a son issue. In the judgment, God does not ask us what sins we committed. He asks us what did we do with his son. Every single human being will have the same answer. His blood be upon us or upon me and my family. Now, for those who have not embraced Jesus as their Savior, that means they are guilty of shedding His blood, but there is no salvation for them. For those of us who have embraced Jesus as our Savior, when we say His blood be on us, we're talking, cover me with the blood, the righteous blood of Christ, the salvation that comes to me. Cover me with His blood and cover my children and my family. The issue, the crux, everything hinges. What did you do with the Son? What did you do with Jesus? So in your life today, it's imperative. It's eternal life or not. What is our response to God's gift of salvation in Christ? Do we accept that? Or do we reject it? Or maybe you might be so foolish as to accept it and then seek to add to it by somehow you could be good enough that then you would be assured you have salvation. The good news is this. Your Savior was good enough. And He stands in your place. Now am I saying don't worry about sin? Just go ahead and live your life. I am not saying that. In fact, if you live that way, you have not embraced your Savior. Because when you truly embrace your Savior, you will recognize what He did to save you, and you will not be making plans to continue in sin. You'll be seeking by His grace to cut off anything associated with what caused him that pain on Calvary.
People seek to overcome sin, not to be saved. They seek to overcome sin because they are saved. And that is the salvation message that God gives us through Christ. Now, so we have the Father. We're worshiping a holy nourisher, a holy protector, a holy upholder. We know to worship means to kiss Him. This is something that is from the heart. And then Jesus talks about this being done in spirit and truth. So we're going to look at spirit. What does it mean? Well, it's likely that spirit here is not referring to the Holy Spirit, though the Holy Spirit helps us in worship. We see that in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, many people, when they read that, they rejoice and say, oh, I get it. The Holy Spirit makes intercession between me and God, and I pour out my pitiful prayer here, and and then He makes it beautiful up there. That may happen, but the emphasis on this verse is that the Holy Spirit will come into our hearts when we are praying, when we are worshiping God in prayer, and the Holy Spirit will impress us with what to say. And so, if your prayer life has just kind of died out because of the redundancy of the list that you've repeated over and over. You know, the wife, the kids, the finances, and the job, and and we list all that. Listen, folks, the reality is Jesus said God knows what you have need of before you ask. God does not need to be told what you need. Prayer essentially is you worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit comes in to help you. So when you kneel down to pray, first thing you say is, God, please send your Spirit upon me that I may pray well, that I may be in your presence and remind me of things to say and help me to worship you in prayer. It's a beautiful picture, and the Holy Spirit does all that, but I don't believe that's what Jesus is talking about when he says to worship God the Father in spirit and truth. I believe it is the human spirit that Jesus means. Man must worship not simply outwardly by being in the right place on the right day with the right people, with the right message, with the right music, with the right clothes, and the right food afterwards but by His Spirit, the part of man that perceives, reflects, feels, and desires. We see that expressed in Luke chapter 1. None other than Mary says it when uh, she is conversing with her relative Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about something deep within the human experience where we perceive, reflect, feel, and express our desires. So Jesus says this worship that kisses the Father 
comes from deep within us. It is not forms. It is not processes. It is not methodologies. It is heartfelt. Truth. Well, what is truth? Truth is usually understood as that which is opposed to falsehood. Reality as opposed to mere appearance. And here, people kind of get hung up a little bit on what truth is. They get overzealous for their concept of truth. As religious bodies, different denominations embrace certain truths and say, this is what we're about, this defines us, and we've done that as well. And uh, we, we believe so strongly in, in what we have defined, we call our doctrines the truth. And when people are baptized into our church, we say they have now joined the truth. So they may have been a Christian over here serving God, but now that they have better understanding, now they're really in the truth. These things create an unholy arrogance that actually works against the humility that God wants us to walk with. Truth. Truth for the Apostle John is a very important concept. He writes about it 25 times. Matthew three times, Mark three times, Luke three times, just to give you a perspective. And the basic meaning of truth in John's writings is simply God's reality. God's reality. Truth and Jesus in John's writings are inseparable. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh, that's talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. We discover in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus refers to truth in this passage. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth and Jesus are inseparable. Jesus is the truth. John 8, verse 32, an often misquoted verse, misapplied. You hear it in political speeches all the time. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, and don't I sound profound? Now vote for me. Well, let me share a truth with you. I believe most politicians are rotten to the core. That's a truth. Did that set you free? <laughs> two plus two is four. That's a truth. Does that set you free? No, it doesn't. And in the very same chapter, just a few verses later, Jesus tells us what it means. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. It is not a body of beliefs that sets anybody free. 
whether they're true or not, it is Jesus that sets the human heart free. Truth in John's writings is not the teaching about God transmitted by Jesus, but it is God's reality revealed in Jesus. We appreciate, admire, seek to honor everything that Jesus taught. But the, re- the truth that John is writing about is revealed in who Jesus was. Look at John 14, verse 9. John 14, verse 9. Philip has asked, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so, spirit and truth, spirit talking about our inner expressions, our inner feelings, and truth directly linked with Jesus Christ. You cannot worship God correctly without Christ in the equation. He is our Savior. Now, in John chapter 4, verse 23, I'd like to refer you back to that. John 4, verse 23. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. I have not spoken about, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. We'll take care of that on another occasion. So we're just going to look at the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And if we apply our understanding to the verse, we would reinterpret it this way as this being the meaning of it. A change is taking place regarding worship. Those who truly kiss their holy nourisher, protector, and upholder will do so in an honest and heartfelt way because they love Jesus who has set them free and revealed God to them. The signal. Well, God, I'll have to go. I like you lots. This I want you to know. Look now, this will be a horrible fight. Who knows, I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly with you before, I wonder, God, if you'd wait at your door. Look, I'm crying, me shedding tears. I wish I'd known you these many years. Well, God, I have to go now. Goodbye. Strange, since I met you, I'm not afraid to die. I am moved on many levels by this poem. But the part I bring to you today is, I wish I'd known you these many years. You see, friends, you can know God. You can know God. He wants you to know Him. And when you know Him, 
Not only are you not afraid to die, you're not afraid to face life. You're not afraid to do what is right. You're not afraid. You're not driven by fear, but you walk by faith. And I wonder if there's anyone here today who would like to say to God, God, I want to go through life together with you. I want to become acquainted with you. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And if you would like to say that to God, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, here we are. We are asking by your grace that you would help us to walk with you and that we would truly worship you in spirit and in truth that our lives will be changed you will dwell within us and we would walk in a way that brings glory to your name bless each one Lord I pray in Jesus name Amen